Welcome to Sparkplug, where we talk to smart people working at the intersection of business and technology. Brought to you by Snowshoe, making mobile locations smarter. Today, Karen Jensen and I feature the second half of our two-part conversation with Joe Jensen, who heads up Intel's retail division worldwide. The first half of our interview was on air last week. Today, we'll talk about COVID, what's next for retail revival, and Joe's lifelong mission at Intel. Welcome, Joe. Uh, Thanks for inviting me. So, Joe, to start the conversation today, on the second half of our interview, let's talk about COVID. How have you seen retailers adapting to COVID? And then what do you think will happen in terms of digital transformation post-COVID? Well, I think there's, you know, there, it's, it's such a broad space. I think, you know, first principle I think we'd look at is there used to be a very traditional funnel uh, for shoppers. And, and discovery uh, of, of items occurred primarily in the store. If you go back, you know, pre-social media days, uh, you know, uh, Shoppers would find out what the fall fashions are by going to the retailer that curates for their their demographic. So whether you're you know you're you're shopping at uh, you know um, Target or you're shopping at Nordstrom or you're shopping at Barney's, um, they're going to have a curation of things that are in line with the fall fashions for your demographic, and you go to that store to discover what the fall fashions are. Well, that funnel is completely disrupted now. You know, you, you know, shoppers discover what the fall fashion is by their, you know, what their favorite Instagram uh, celebrities are wearing. And so that, you know, the, the, one of the problems I think is a lot of retailers are still stuck in this notion that there's a traditional funnel. And we think discovery is one of the key value props that stores uh, deliver to shoppers. And, and the key there is, is um, do you want to go to a store that all of the content and merchandising looks exactly like the competitors? So I go to, you know, in most malls, you can walk into two or three different department stores. And if you close your eyes on the way in, you wouldn't really know the difference from one to the next because they all have the same micro, you know, mini stores within a store. They have the same merchandising look and feel. And, and really, if you're delivering, you know, a, a bland blah experience, you know, what's the discovery? What's the joy? What's the excitement in that for the shopper? And so where we see retail going, uh, especially, you know, smaller retailers, um, curation is going to be really critical. And I think, you know, some bigger examples of that, you know, restoration hardware is an example of, you know, hyper curated content, uh, West Elm. Uh, and there's a number of these, these uh, uh, stores now where they're going out and finding a lot of stuff that fits a, a similar look and feel. And so if you're that kind of shopper that likes that kind of look and feel, um, you like to go to that store because they've done a bunch of the legwork for you. And, and so I think that, you know, first thing, there's that element of discovery. And, you know, could, could uh, Restoration Hardware deliver the same experience uh, online? Well, they've got a great online uh, capability as well, but it's not the same as going to the store. And we know shoppers like to go to stores and, sh- and shopping is a pastime and demand is created real time. So there's this big opportunity. If you bring them to the store, you can, you can actually help them experience uh, products in a richer way and, and, and that will convert to sales better. So that we think this hyper curation is really critical. The second kind of key premise we have is that retail is, is splitting into two modalities. One is uh, we're calling hyper convenience. You know, people want things to be as simple, easy, fast, and seamless as possible. You know, I, I, I need a gallon of milk. I stop at the store. It's really convenient. It's really quick to check out. Um, 
it's as easy as possible. And we think a lot of online shopping has has taken share away from brick and mortar around this hyper convenience side. Uh, you know, take grocery. Uh, you go into grocery, they always have the staples in the back of the store on the 1900s era that the longer you keep somebody in the store, the more they're going to buy. Right. Well, the reality is, you know, people that bought lots of stuff in the store might have had a long shopping list when they went in and they spent a long time because they already planned to buy a bunch of stuff. And, and we think in today's world, you know, instead of having, you know, four brands of milk in the cooler in the back, uh, take your house brand and put it up front in a hyper convenient location. And maybe instead of pricing it cheaper, price it the same as the name brand. And there's a huge opportunity now instead of making three points of milk to make 10. Right. Interesting. And so, you know, this idea that, you know, how can you start to kind of ensure that your experience for shoppers is really convenient? The other side of the spectrum we think is, is we call hyper experience. And that means that, you know, if somebody's going to go to the store, how do you make the experience amazing? And there's many aspects of that. You know, it really, if, if you're creating demand while people are in the store, you should be creating for demand for things you have to sell them right now because instant gratification is really important. And that's an important part of experience. Joe, to build on that point about hyper experience, um, from discovery to purchase, how can brick and mortar retailers accelerate that conversion funnel? You know, to me, I, I guess it's the basics of retail. I mean, this is this is why you have associates. Um, you know, the, the best associates are going to uh, observe the shopper. They're going to notice the kind of things that they're they're uh, looking at. Uh, they're going to go over at the right time and offer some help. Uh, they're going to show them some things that that others who liked the the things they were you know looking at you know other people like those like other you know kind of that that associative um, aspect and in all of those things you know here's a great example my wife was at uh, one of the premium department stores a few years ago and she went in intending to buy two or three um, shirts for some and we had the most amazing sales associate I mean it was off the charts good and this lady was so good my wife ended up buying 11 tops. <laughs> and, and she felt great about it. And it wasn't like she got pressured into buying stuff. This lady was so good at realizing what my wife liked and what would look good on her that she kept bringing more and more things that my wife loved all of it. And we, she would have never, my wife's not a spender. She would have never done that. But the experience was amazing. And we've shopped that chain, which prides itself on, on amazing experience, you know, hundreds of times and never had an experience like that. You know, how, how can, in, in my view is, you know, technology can help that chain enable all their associates to deliver experience like that. And so, you know, the, the key here is, is, you know, how do you use uh, anonymous analytics to understand the behavior patterns of shoppers and in shoppers that had this pattern bought that thing. So when I see somebody having this pattern, let me suggest that thing. Right. And you know, it, it's some some really simplistic things. If you go into you know, uh, sticking with the department store side for a minute, you walk in a department store today, and there's posters at the front of the store. It's really prime uh, advertising uh, promotional location. And you know, me I've used this analogy before, but you know, maybe it's prom dress season, so they've got prom dresses advertised at the front of the store. Well, what percent of shoppers are really a target for a prom dress? You know, pretty narrow window of teen. And, and it's a pretty narrow window of parent of teen. Right. And for everybody else walking by, that's just a wasted space. It's noise. And, and the technology is very mature today in terms of, you know, estimating age and gender. 
And, and if somebody's in the, you know, likely in the right range, put the prom dress ad on the screen. But in, you know, if, if it's a male walking up, not very many dads are buying prom dresses for daughters, some, but not all. Uh, and you didn't sell all the raincoats because it was a dry winter. And the guy's walking up, throw a raincoat on the screen because you got a whole bunch of them. Right. It go, goes back to that, that classic uh, story that we've all heard about Target knowing that somebody was, was pregnant before they did because of the kind of searches that they'd done. So being able to, to, to micro-target or being, being able to really accommodate exactly where the person is at in their life and being able to offer goods that are appropriate to that moment in their life. And I think the key there is is um, doing this in a way that it that it's behaviors and patterns based and not you know individualized. And I think too much of this this type of marketing, and this is where I think online marketers have done a terrible job. Too much of it is trying to figure out exactly who the shopper is as an individual, and then target to that individual. And and and. I think one, you know, people find it creepy, uh, and, and two, it's it's not been very effective. And my favorite example is years ago we were shopping for a Tiffany, a pair of Tiffany lamps for our bedroom. And on a Friday night, I sat, you know, with watching TV, did a bunch of web searching, found a few options at a, a Lamps Plus store. There happens to be one a few miles from our house. Saturday morning, we drove to Lamps Plus and we picked a pair of lamps and bought them and drove home and put them in the bedroom. For the next two or three months, every banner ad I saw on my on my yeah. internet were Tiffany lamps. Yes, even though you already had them. Right, already bought them, right? And, and so, you know, um, and, and you'd think it's like, hey, wait a minute, this guy searched for Tiffany lamps one evening and has never searched again. Maybe we should stop showing them Tiffany lamps. Well, also, you know, building off of that right there, what if someone gets an ad for the same thing and it's a different price, you know, a better deal or, you know, you, you ordered it and it's not yet here. And then you can, you know, you have an ad for a curbside pickup at a, a, a local store. I get ads just like you're saying for Tiffany's all the time. And I'm like, wait, this is a different company. This isn't, you know, the same company that I just bought from, what are they offering? That I think gets into, again, that that really simplistic lever of price. And, and I guess for me, I think price has been overused in retail and discounting. And I think there's a whole segment of the population being first is more important than price. Right. You know, being, being uh, curation and, and, and better curated content is more important than price. And, and so I think that, you know, what we're going to see is, is, Again, if price is your primary lever in your market, you know, we, years ago we met with leadership, senior leadership of JCPenney. This is, you know, many, many leadership teams ago. Right. And, and they told us that the problem they had is that, that they had used price as the driver for their business for so long that they only sold things below cost. Which is not a scalable business. I well, it turns out that's a way to go out of business, right? And, and that, you know, <laughs> that leadership team ended up disappearing and being replaced a few times. But, you know, the challenge is, you know, that's a, a viable strategy if you're the lowest cost producer. Right. Yeah. And and it's hard to compete as the lowest cost producer with brick and being brick and mortar. Absolutely. So, Joe, as we come to the end of our time in discussion, I wanted to turn the conversation briefly into the wisdom that you can share with our audience around your learnings, both in retail and in your career. Briefly, where do you think that retail will be in 20 years? What might it look like? Paint us a little scenario. 
I think that retail in 20 years, um, the hyper experience side will be incredibly mature and the staples that you need in your life will arrive and be there when you need them and you won't end up with a huge pile. So here's a simple example. I buy mouthwash two bottles at a time typically. I'm running low on mouthwash. I need to get mouthwash in the next few days. Or automatic order and replenishment. I apparently don't consume mouthwash at the same rate all the time. You know, when I tried that, I ended up with six bottles of mouthwash. Right. I don't want six bottles of mouthwash. I think the analytics will get better and better and that'll become more and more predictable. And I think these staples, this, this hyper convenient path will be so convenient that things are just automatic. Interesting. And then I think that retail, as people think of it and shopping and, you know, for a large portion of the population, a pastime is shopping. Going to the mall, going to a store is something you do because you enjoy it. I think shopping is going to become more like the, you know, this is what I do for enjoyment. And that's where I think the hyper experience side is going to come in. I think retailers will become more highly curated. So the experiences will be specific store by store. You'll go to this store because of of how they've curated their content. And, you know, take Pottery Barn. You know, Pottery Barn has a look and feel. And people that like things from Pottery Barn tend to like most of the things at Pottery Barn. And I think you're going to see more and more of that kind of approach uh, to retail. And I think you're going to see a lot uh, a lot more seamless approach by the brands of becoming that source of the, the shopper funnel for the store. Right. And that's going to take some trial and error, right? I think the technology is there. I think the problem right now is that that in large part, the leadership of these entities is not mentally there yet. And I think that there's an affordability problem in not in terms of the technology is super expensive. It's just the historical P&Ls have not comprehended that kind of tech overlay. Interesting. So as you just pointed out, not all technology will succeed. So from your experience, uh, I want to know why are mistakes okay to make? And if you could talk about the importance of that trial and error. Yeah, I think that, you know, obviously piloting is really critical. I think that uh, the first stage we see uh, mistakes made is the, the, the customer isn't really clear on what business problem they're trying to solve. You know, I think if we go back 10 years ago, there was a ton of, to keep people coming in my store, I need to be more, more tech. And they were throwing tech in the store just to kind of, you know, look like they were uh, more tech. Uh, you know, I think, you know, the, the endless aisle uh, is something that, that is going to go away. Uh, it turns out that we, I can't, I wish I could find the source, but there was a study we read that said uh, they, they track shoppers from looking for an item in the store. They couldn't find it on the rack. Go find an associate. The associate would look through the same rack and not find it. The associate would then go in the back and look through back stock. Can't find it. Come out, you know, go on the POS, look for, you know, uh, stores in the area that might have stock. Can't do that. Okay, customer, let's do an online order ship at your house. 1% of shoppers would go through that whole journey that didn't experience in and out of stock. So the endless aisle was a way to capture some sales. But it was the sales for people that really, really, really wanted that thing. And they're willing to spend 20 minutes going through an endless eye experience. We're terribly clunky. And you, the, it turned out the internet experience in the store was worse than it would be if you were at home. And, and so I think that, you know, the, the um, tech for tech's sake, you know, throw, throw iPads in the store so our associates look like they're really tech savvy. Th- those kind of things didn't really work. And it's because they didn't have a clear business problem identified. Right. Right. It goes back to business basics. Understand your customer, understand what they need, s- serve that need, and your customers will love you. Right. 
and you know the crazy thing is is uh, being an engineer i'm all about root cause you know what what's the root cause of a problem and and i keep coming back to as we do our work one of the biggest root cause problem areas is, is inventory in inaccuracy of inventory at the store we uh were pushing and working on rfid quite a bit for a few years and rfid is a really elegant solution to solve this um the but is it, it it touches all aspects of the people systems in the in the business in terms of you know inventory returns warehouse distribution there was so many parts of that that have to change when you deploy rfid that that was difficult but the, the point i'm trying to get to in in working with about 40 different large chains the best store we encountered when we did a deep physical inventory 65 percent of the products were correctly counted huh 65 percent and now you look and say, hey, consumers expect um, hyper convenience. If they go to the store to buy it, they want it there. You know, I, I got the car, drove to the store and they don't have it. What the heck? 65% um, inventory accuracy is not acceptable. And most right. of the executives in these chains believe their inventory accuracy is in the 90s. And it's not. Oh. I think you're also going to see now, it's interesting in Japan, the government there, they have a problem where there's a shortage of labor. And so the government decided a few years ago that they were going to try to take as much labor out of convenience stores as possible. And all consumer goods um, have to be packaged with an RFID label by 2025, I think, 2023, 2025 for in Japan. And they've been throwing a bunch of money every year at getting RFID tag costs down. And they claim that by 2023, it'll be sub one penny. And by 2025, it'll be sub one yen. And, and that's going to make uh, RFID tags so cost-effective and efficient that when you go to a convenience store, you will pick all the items you want, put them in a basket, set the basket on the checkout lane. It'll give you a total you'll pay and you'll walk out. Wow. And, and, and you know, I think that the hyper-convenience is going to go that way. Will it be done with cameras? Will it be done with RFID tags, a combination? Uh, not totally sure, but that's the direction that staples uh, will go, I believe. Right. So that's the future of retail that you see, that increasingly things are going to be automated, things are going to be customized, and I'm going to be able to know that when I go to the store, that the item I saw online is actually there on the shelf that I saw. Yeah. And, you know, an example from, uh, you know, uh, the uh, the big home, uh, home improvement stores, uh, I was in line at a return counter uh, recently when the store manager took a phone call from the shopper who put, placed a large online order for a, a large number of things, like 50 items. And he was calling to say, hey, could you please call me when you have all these things ready for me to pick up? I, I'm, I'm kind of in a hurry. And she was very courteous to the guy on the phone. It's like, absolutely, took his phone number down. She said, I'll personally look after it. She hung up and she leaned over to the assistant manager and said, I don't know how we're going to have time to pick 50 items off the floor. And she said, this guy is a genius. Instead of him coming in and spending an hour picking all the items off the floor, he's going to have us spend the hour to pick all the items off the floor. Huh. Right, right. So shift shift the burden onto the retailer. But and, you know, you go to, uh, maybe this guy shops all the time at, at that that uh, home improvement center, but um, you know, finding stuff takes forever, and even the staff can't necessarily find stuff. I shop in those stores a lot, and you know, they ask for help, and like, well, I think it's in aisle six, and let me let me go help you look, and they wander around for a few minutes too. Um, I think that that inconvenience of searching and hunting is going to have to be solved as well. Absolutely. In terms of physical presence and actual location, do you think physical presence has a role to play here? I do for sure. And I think it gets down to, um, you know, pe people like instant gratification. 
And, you know, we, we talked to, I guess I won't name names, but a major electronics retailer. And uh, they believe that when the sales tax parity uh, happened, which has now happened, where online and has to pay sales tax as well, that they would be able to, to greatly increase their sales of flat panel TVs. Right. And they said, it turns out their research showed that people would pay $50 more for a flat panel TV if they could pick it up right now. Fascinating. And, and so, you know, this, uh, this idea of instant gratification, we think even on a big ticket item, you know, people, um, you know, you decide, you know, you spend, you know, weeks deciding which big TV to buy, you measure your living room, you go, you know, go look at them in the store. And if the online price is close uh, or the, the store price is close to online that I want it right now, people will pay more for that. Right. Really, really appreciate your, your insight here, Joe. Karen, any last questions? You know, maybe, maybe just one, actually. What is your signature achievement? What, do you, what would you like to be known for? You know, my whole career, I've had a deep belief that, that more technology makes everything better. And, and, and I really, um, I think I'm on a mission to help brick and mortar retail maintain the relevance they have today with consumers. Great. Thanks for leaving us with that, Joe. It's been such a pleasure to learn more about Intel Retail and your mission, and we look forward to talking again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Very enjoyable chat. Thank you, Karen. Have a good one. Thank you. Thanks for listening today to the Spark Plug Podcast, hosted by me, Ned Hayes, and brought to you by Snowshoe, snow.sh, for smarter mobile locations. Sparkplug is a wholly owned property of Snowshoe. All content, copyright, 2021, Sparkplug Media.